We're going to be going to 1 Samuel chapter 1 here in a minute. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I want to thank Carl for, again, that wonderful children's message. And I want to thank all those that continue to serve for our worship service. Steve Vargas kind of helping with sound as well as leading worship. And Carl's playing piano. Megan's been running the computer, jumping on sound. Sam Campana's been helping with the, the projector as well. Uh, Carl and Kevin and Wendy have both been doing things remotely with the children and with the youth. Um, I probably already shared this, but I'll share it again. Kevin and Wendy have done at least one, maybe multiple youth, sca- multiple youth scavenger hunts that have been virtual, so I'm grateful for that. Carl's been sending stuff out for the parents and families to do remotely as well. So we continue to try to be here to serve in whatever way we can, however we can. And um, also, you know, Nancy Gura made masks for people, and now Lisa Lotz has made more masks so that we're anticipating actually that when we can open as normal, we could have masks that maybe you come, you grab when you come in if you don't have one, and you can return it when you leave, and we'll wash them and everything and sanitize them for the following week. So those are things we're thinking about, praying about, and keep that in mind. So, you know, the mother has an important part in God's plan, and today's Mother's Day, so I want to talk about one of the godly women in the Bible, and we're going to talk about Hannah here in just a minute. You know, and I wonder, would Samuel have been born apart from Hannah's prayers? The story is told of William C. Burns. I'm sure you all know about him. I'm kidding. I'm sure you don't. William C. Burns. He mightily blessed Hudson Taylor and Robert Murray McShayan. Robert Murray McShayan was a wonderful, godly Scottish preacher in the 1800s. Hudson Taylor started China Inland Mission and was just a wonderful, powerful, awesome missionary to China in the 1800s. There's a booklet called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, you know, about his call to missions and all the little obstacles, not little, major obstacles he's faced, he faced. Well, William C. Burns was a man who blessed Hudson Taylor and Robert Murray McShane. And the story is told of when he was only a boy of 17, he visited the city of Glasgow with his mother for the first time in his life. And the mother suddenly lost her, her boy. The story says boy. I mean, he's really a young man, especially in the 1800s, 17s, you know, uh, pretty much a capable of adult. But her mother lost him, and her mother eventually found him. And, her, and, his, and his mother said, his mother asked him where he was. And this is what he said. Oh, mither, mither, said the country boy. The thud of these Christless feet on the way to hell breaks my heart. His heart was broken knowing that people around him don't have Christ in their life. And without Christ, you don't have salvation. You don't have eternal life. You don't have the complete, the full life now either. And one can understand how he grew up to be the mighty revivalist of Scotland and China. Revivalist of Scotland and China to lead people on the mission field in China. You know, prayer, what does it matter? Seeking the Lord, who cares? Dependence upon the Lord, not that important, is it? Well, obviously you know that I think it's very important. Prayers and seeking the Lord and dependence upon God are important as they affect our life. But when you're a parent, your prayers, and a grandparent, and a great-grandparent, your prayers don't only affect your life, they affect your children as well. They even affect your grandchildren, even if they're not yet born. Our prayers affect way more than just us. You know, and I know that there are many families in this church that seek the Lord and depend upon God, but unfortunately I've seen too many in various churches that I've served And just in my life, 
who don't seem to care about the spiritual. They want to provide physically for their children, provide for the financial needs, make sure they get good scholarships, make sure they get all their extracurriculars. But the spiritual is on the back end. The spiritual is not that important. Some talk about a balanced life. You know, we consider Christianity important, but we also consider this important and that important and that. You can fill in your own blank because I'll get in trouble if I start filling in blanks. But, you know, is there really a balanced life when it concerns Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Is there really a balanced life? You know, shouldn't Jesus be number one? And everything else revolves around Jesus. Jesus is like the sun is to our solar system. I think so. You know, I'm not the only one who thinks that prayer and seeking the Lord are very important. In the Old Testament, there was a woman who sought the Lord, and she was rewarded because of this. And I know, you know, I've already mentioned her name. And even if I didn't, you'd probably think of Hannah. Maybe, maybe not. But for those of you who haven't thought of Hannah... She's the one I'm thinking of. Hannah was a very godly woman. And I'm going to talk about her for a few minutes. And I intend to show you that she was a godly mother. And because she was a godly mother, she gave birth to one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. The prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel ordained King Saul and King David, Israel's first two kings. Because of Hannah, we have the Old Testament narratives of 1 and 2 Samuel. I want to explain this as I walk through 1 Samuel chapter 1. But let me add a very, 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 very important note. As I talk about 1 Samuel 1, I'll talk a little bit about Hannah's devotion to the Lord, as well as her husband Elkanah's support. My challenge is that we are also devoted to the Lord and we are spiritual leaders in the home. You've heard me talk about that before. But just because you are devoted to the Lord, this doesn't mean that your kids will also grow up to be godly. If you have an adult or teenage child that you're struggling with in rebellion, don't blame yourself. I know of many parents who it seemed as though were extremely devoted to the Lord, and yet their children rebelled. So be careful about heaping guilt and blame on yourself. We do need to follow the Lord, and we do need to lead our children spiritually, and, and even our grandchildren as much as we can, you know, and support, support our adult children leading their grandchildren spiritually. But don't heap on guilt on yourself. My theme, Hannah went to the Lord with her need, and so should we. Hannah went to the Lord with her need, and so should we. I want to read 1 Samuel 1 as we talk about it. So first, let's talk about Hannah's devotion to the Lord. Hannah's devotion to the Lord. If you're um, at the passage, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a certain man from Ramatham Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah. Elkanah, remember that dude. The son of Jero Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tahu, the son of Zuf. You don't have to remember those people for today. An Ephraimite. Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Take note of that. That's very important. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Remember that location. And the two sons of Eli, 
Hophni and Phinehas were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Notice that. All her sons and daughters. Verse 5 now. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion for the sacrifice. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, that'd be Penina, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. That's the second time that's mentioned, by the way. It happened year after year. Notice the repetition. Year after year, as often as she went up, that would be Hannah, as often as Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, Penina would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Hannah wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? We'll come back to that because it doesn't sound good at first. In the first couple of verses here, we have an introduction to the passage. We have a little bit about their lifestyle. Hannah was married to Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives. That's not an example that we should follow today. It is most likely from context and wording that Elkanah was married to Hannah first. But when Hannah could not have children, he took a second wife named Penina. Interesting to take note, Hannah means grace and Penina means ruby. Hannah means grace and Penina means ruby. You know, we all probably know Back in those days, back in that day and age, it was important for a man and woman to be able to have children. Back then, children grew up and they were expected to help on the farm or help in the family business as well. And uh, it was also expected that the children would grow up and get older and they would help take care of their parents, take care of their grandparents, take care of their relatives. It was extremely important. And some of that is still important today, but not nearly as much as it once was. I'm sure that many of you can think back and, and, and remember as children, seeing how maybe your parents set the example, trying to help take care of their parents. When I was a kid, I remember watching my dad and going with my dad many, many, many days while he was helping fix his mom's house. My dad's dad died when I was around three years old, or um, I think it was four, and his mom died when I was uh, 16. And so in between the time that his dad died and his mom died, my dad was generally taking care of her house, fixing her car, uh, redoing the plumbing, fixing the floor, and many, many, many other things. And, and, and in reality, that's the way it should be, that we help each other out and that we help take care of our parents. Well, back then, it was tragic to not be able to have children. It was a big deal. And since Hannah was barren, it was something that, that, that was, she, would look to be, she would be looked upon as cursed among women for not being able to conceive and have children. You know, as we talk about Hannah's commitment to the Lord... We must also talk about Elkanah, her husband's commitment to the Lord. Verse 3 shows that Elkanah would take his family to Shiloh to worship and make sacrifices. He gave sacrifices to his two wives and to his children through Penina. Now, this was a big commitment. Shiloh was about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And Shiloh was about a two-day journey. Now, many of you are thinking, why Shiloh? What about Jerusalem? And I'm glad you asked. At that day and age, David, King David, mighty king of Israel, had not yet conquered Jerusalem. 
He will conquer Jerusalem in 2 Samuel. And after David conquers Jerusalem, Israel's place of worship goes to Jerusalem. At this point, though, Israel's place of worship is Shiloh. Shiloh's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Shiloh's where the temple, Israel's temple and worship center was located. It was at Shiloh, not at Jerusalem. But as stated, it was a two-day journey to get to Shiloh. Now, I want to talk to the men for a minute here. How are you guys doing taking your family to church? When I was a kid, we went to church a few days out of the year, sometimes maybe a little bit more than Christmas and Easter. Usually we went to church on Mother's Day because that's what mom wanted. How are you doing taking your family to church? I know it's hard to get up on Sunday morning. The devil makes you extra tired. But think about it. It was a two-day walk for them to go to Shiloh to worship. None of us had a two-day walk to get to church this morning. I can guarantee that. Now, you may be thinking, but it was only once a year that Elkanah took his family to church, to this sanctuary, to this special festival type thing. It was only once a year. But remember, it was four days of travel. They probably stayed over a week. And then there was the cost of the sacrifices. They literally had to bring their sacrifices. So I want to encourage the men who are listening and watching. Take a lesson from Elkanah. Lead your family in worship. Verse 5 shows that Elkanah loved Hannah more, but also that the Lord had closed her womb. And there's a major principle here. The Lord is in control. The Lord is in control of everything. And we see an Old Testament principle throughout all of the Old Testament and really the New Testament too. The Lord is also in control of the womb. The Lord is in control of our healing. The Lord is in control of our life. I was at a doctor's office in Cincinnati. I love the sign. It said above the door, physicians treat, God heals. Physicians treat, but God heals. Think about that. We think that, you know, different things have all the answers, you know, and, and, and I'm a big proponent of science and medical knowledge and all things like that. But there is so much that we have to remember that God is in control. We take our vitamins, we take our nutrients, we take our food, but God makes everything work just right in the body. It's amazing. I was listening to a Rabbi Zacharias podcast last week, and um, Vince Vitale, one of their speakers, and we need to pray for Rabbi right now, by the way. Um, it seems as though he has a very deadly form of cancer, and the Lord will likely be calling him home in a matter of uh, months, if not shorter. But one of their speakers was talking about, you know, how things... The evidence of God, the evidence for a creator. And he mentioned, you know, everything is just perfect in our solar system. And, he, and, and I've heard that before. The case for faith talks about that. The case for miracles talks about it. But he shared something new, never thought of. Jupiter is a huge planet. It's a gas giant. And yet Jupiter is further, um, further from the sun than we are. And because of Jupiter's location and because of its gravity, it keeps Earth in its place, but it also pulls asteroids and comets to Jupiter instead of to us. God has set up everything just perfect for life. And we see that here. God controls the womb. We see that right here. Verses 6 through 8 show that the pain that Hannah experienced being barren. Penina is described as a rival. She would provoke Hannah, as Hannah had no children. By the way, it's possible that Penina provoked Hannah because Elkanah loved Hannah more. So the scriptures show that God controls the womb, and now Hannah believes that. So Hannah believes it so much 
that she spends extra time in prayer about a son. Hannah goes to the Lord about this. Let's look at verses 9 through 18 right now. 1 Samuel 1, verses 9 through 18. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, that's Hannah, Hannah is greatly distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, that means like Lord of the heaven's armies, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. That's a Nazarite vow. We'll come back to that. Verse 12, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman. For I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. She's pouring out her soul before the Lord. She's speaking to the Lord right now out of great concern and provocation. Verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She prays for a son. She prays for a son so intensely that Eli thinks that she is drunk. Her mouth is moving, but her, and her lips are moving, but no sounds coming out. Now Hannah prays for a son, but she also makes a vow. She says, if the Lord gives her a son, she will dedicate him to the Lord in a, his whole life, and a razor will never touch his head. By the way, it's called the Nazarite vow, and usually it was just temporary. But for Samuel, it was a lifelong vow before the Lord. She would be dedicated to serve the Lord in his temple his whole life. By the way, the Nazarite vow was also taken by Samson for his whole life, John the baptizer. We say baptizer. He wasn't a Baptist. Okay, just so we, we're clear there. So that's a Nazarite vow. And Hannah is willing to say to the Lord, give me a son. I'll dedicate him to the Lord his whole life. Have you ever wanted something just so badly you would just do anything for it? That was Hannah. Hannah wanted a son. She wanted to have a child so badly that she's willing to make this vow before the Lord. She goes to the Lord with her request. She knows that the Lord can meet her need. She goes to the Lord. So the Lord rewarded Hannah's vow. Let's look at verses 19 through 20. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Then they arose early in the morning. That would be Elkanah and his family. And they worshiped before the Lord. Notice that. Before they leave, they worship. And they return again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Notice that. The Lord remembered her. It came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. 
God provided a baby, and they named him Samuel. So Hannah follows through, and after the child was weaned, she brings him to the temple. Now, we're not reading that section today, but if you read the following verses, she dedicates him to the Lord at the temple. She dedicated her son to serve in the temple his whole life. And I'm thinking that Elkanah likely had help at the temple to help care for this this, uh, boy as he was raised. And if you want to read more about that, you read um, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And if you read 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see Samuel's call to priestly service and um, call as as a prophet, really. And we also see a little bit more about Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Don't miss Hannah's dedication. Don't let that go unnoticed. This mother Hannah gave her child up to serve the Lord. She was that committed to the Lord. She knew the Lord will take care of her son regardless. And by the way, I hope we realize that everything we have is ultimately from the Lord. Whether we dedicate our children to the Lord like like Hannah did or not, My daughters are the Lord's children before they're mine. I belong to the Lord. I tell them that. You know, we are called to parent them and raise them under the Lord. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. And we need to hold it with an open hand and say, Lord, I'm going to follow your will. We know his will in parenting. We've read it in Deuteronomy 6. I preached it in Deuteronomy 6. We're called to teach our children the word. You know, in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord through Moses tells the people, talk about the word when you walk along the road. Talk about the word when you drive, drive in your car. That's a modern example, by the way. You know, talk about the word. Teach them all the time. Lead them spiritually. If our children grow up and they don't know the Lord, they don't have anything. They have everything for this life, but they're missing the one thing that matters. Hannah realized that Samuel, her son, would belong to the Lord. So she made her actions follow that up, dedicating him to priestly service. Now for a minute, I want to talk about Elkanah's support for Hannah. Elkanah led them to the annual festival or festivals, but he also supported her in her turmoil. Verse 8 shows something. Verse eight, she, in verse 8, Elkanah says to Hannah, Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Now, we may think about that and read that and think, Elkanah has a lot of confidence. Am I not better to you than 10 sons? But a better way of reading that might be, he might have been telling her, do I not treat you better than if you had 10 sons? Do I not treat you better than if you had 10 sons? It could be that Elkanah treated her well regardless of whether or not she had children. In verse 23, they have, also, they have already given birth to the boy, and it's time to sacrifice again. But she says, Hannah says, let me stay home until the boy is weaned. And what does Elkanah say? He supports her. He says, do what seems best. And you know, Hannah made this vow to the Lord, but Elkanah could have trumped it. Elkanah could have canceled the vow. In Numbers chapter 30, verses 6 through 15, Elkanah could, it says that a man, a husband, can revoke a woman's vow. Elkanah didn't do that. Elkanah supported his wife in that vow. They take the boy Samuel to Shiloh to minister before the Lord, and Elkanah supports her decisions. How are we doing with that? We, I mean the men, the husbands, the fathers. How are we doing supporting our our wife? How are we doing supporting her emotionally? How are we doing supporting her physically? How are we doing leading the family spiritually? 
I once heard a counselor say that it's possible that for a long time a marriage is dead. The two are living together, but simply fulfilling the needs of life. That's not what our marriages are called to be. That's not what God meant for in marriage. Marriage is supposed to be joyful, and we are supposed to support each other emotionally as well as physically. The problem is, this is just an aside. There's no extra charge for this. There's, uh, the problem is, oftentimes, men are fixers. So the wife comes, and she wants to just vent. And we're saying, I'm going to fix this. What's this person's phone number? I'll call him up. I'll call your boss. We'll take care of this right now. We're sending an email. We're getting on our phone. We're texting. We're, maybe we have adult children. We want to take care of it. We want to fix it. I once heard a man say, and I, I like this, he would tell his wife, do you want me to fix this or do you want me to just to listen? And I think that's a good reminder. Do you want me to fix this or, or, or just tell me what you want? If you want just to, I'll listen, you know, I'll be a sounding board, we can do that. Because we're naturally fixers. God made us that way. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. We're called to support our spouse. You know, there's great value in raising godly children. And this value starts when moms and dads are seeking the Lord at home. I heard this story. I'm gonna, I read this story. I believe it's true. A mother in New England was helping pack a box to be sent to India. Her son, aged four, four-year-old boy, insisted on putting in an offering all his own. A little leaflet entitled, Come to Jesus. His name was written on it with a little prayer. And this is the little boy's prayer. May the one who gets this soon learn to love Jesus. When the child's leaflet reached that far-off land, it was finally given to a Hindu priest who was teaching the missionaries the language. Hindu priest teaching the missionaries the language receives this leaflet about turning to Jesus. Now listen to this. The Hindu priest took it without looking at it. But on his way back to his mountain home, he thought of the leaflet. He took it out. He read the writing on the outside. The child's prayer so touched him that he was then eager to read further. He soon gave up his idols and became a devoted missionary to his own people. Fifteen years after that, American missionaries visited his mountain village. And there they found the converted Hindu priest with a congregation of 1,500 people. They found the priest who was formerly Hindu with a congregation of 1,500 people, and those 1,500 people had learned to love Jesus as their Savior through the influence and the teaching of that leaflet. That four-year-old had to have learned that from his mother and father. Unfortunately, it is far too often that the mother teaches about the faith and not the father. In this case, it was Hannah who spent time in intense prayer. It was Hannah who made the vow. It was Hannah who went through the turmoil. But Elkanah was supportive, and don't discount that. Praise God for godly mothers, and praise God for a mother's work. Praise God for supportive husbands. A little boy looks up, um, this is a poem. A little boy looks up at you. With eyes open wide, he puts his trusting hand in yours, and something stirs inside. He leads you to the window where you stand and stare. A robin hops out on the lawn, but you didn't see it there. Your mind is deep in thought. The years are racing past. A small hand moves in yours. Why do they grow so fast? Soon you'll watch him go off to school, so full of promise and hope. And suddenly you can't speak for the lump that's in your throat. 
Time will pass so quickly that days will turn to years. You'll treasure every moment, all the laughter in the years. One day he'll meet that special girl and want her for his wife. He'll take her hand in his and build a brand new life. Suddenly, your thoughts come back to all the living he's not yet done. You whisper a grateful prayer and embrace your tiny son. I pray that you will seek the Lord in your life as Hannah did. And for those of us that are younger, that's a relative term, or have younger children or grandchildren, I pray that we'll enjoy the moment. Randy Hecker recommended a book. It's called Relentlessly Eliminate Hurry. It's a phrase by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was talking about the spiritual life. It said you have to relentlessly eliminate hurry. We are a very hurried society, aren't we? We're hurrying from one thing to another, and we miss the moment. I want to, before I close, mention one other thing. I do understand that for many, Mother's Day is not so joyful. It's sad. Many have said goodbye to their earthly mothers as they've went on to be with the Lord. I understand that can be beyond difficult. They haven't been there yet. For many, they were not able to have children, and that's a continual continual hurt. But never forget also that God does give us spiritual children. These are children and adults that we have a spiritual influence over them. The Apostle Paul described Timothy like a spiritual son in the faith. So God is working in different ways. But I do understand that it can also be a a hurtful day for you. And so my prayers are with you. And if I can do anything to help you, certainly let me know. Reach out to me. So happy Mother's Day to you all. And take note of these lessons from Hannah, a godly woman in the Bible who sought the Lord. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Hannah and her example in the faith. And Lord God, I pray that we would all learn from Hannah. And we would all be followers of you. And that begins by leading our family spiritually. Lord God, when we have hurts and aches like Hannah did, may we learn from her and go to you with them in prayer. Lord, for the men, I pray that we will learn from Elkanah. We will support our spouse. We will lead our family in worship as well. And Lord God, the first and foremost thing is that we do trust in you as Lord and Savior. And if there's anyone here today who is not committed to you, or anyone, I should say, here virtually today, who has not committed their life to you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in you as the only Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. May today be the day where they firmly make the decision to be with you. In order to become like you. To learn and do all that you say. And arrange their affairs around you. May we all arrange our life around you. May you, Lord Jesus, be the center. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite Steve to lead the closing hymn and the closing prayer.